You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. showed that, that, which was interesting, that the coronavirus or that the virus was a very Has low was not importance to many yes. of the voters which there. Was it was education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. And I mean, unfortunately, race is just the most palpable tool in the toolkit used to be of the Democratic Party back right. in the day when they were Dixiecrats, and now of the Republican Party. It just is powerful. I don't, I don't disagree with that, but I also think that, you know, the other thing that happens here is just the thermostatic public opinion, which is a term coined by a political scientist. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 180 of season three, 245 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. That clip I just played for you is from MSNBC's Joy Reid. As the Daily Wire reports, she went into a little bit of a meltdown last night, Tuesday night, because Republicans in the state of Virginia pretty much have swept the field. They have cleaned house. They have won, it looks like, all the major races set to get a majority in the House in the state of Virginia. And shocker, who could be surprised? MSNBC is blaming it all on racism. Everything we don't like is racism. Everything we don't like is sexism. Everything we don't like is homophobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, you name it, whatever it is, we're going to try and psychologize our political opponents and make them out to be mentally ill. That, that's what it amounts to. Evil and or crazy. That's our campaign platform. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, Joy, but Democrats didn't lose big in Virginia because parents don't want their kids learning about race. Democrats lost big in Virginia because Democrats are tyrants and they're using critical race theory as a lever to try and get socialism, to try and get radical redistribution of wealth accomplished, radical redistribution of political power accomplished. It has very little to do with race for the Democrats. It has everything to do with their economic theories their economic fantasies, rather, and their political commitments. Their political commitment to socialism, to the ideas, which, honestly, have a lot more to do with Karl Marx than they do the Founding Fathers. No ifs, ands, or buts. You start teaching little children, little white children, little black children, little brown children, little red children, little yellow children, in school, that white people are inherently evil and racist and oppressive just by virtue of being born white in this country. And there's a whole lot of parents of all backgrounds, of all ethnicities, of all 
skin colors who find that utterly distasteful and wrongheaded and unhelpful and destructive and toxic and corrosive. And it isn't just white parents who don't want their kids learning about race. It is parents of every stripe who don't want their children being turned into little Marxists, periods. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's what it is. But I want to get back to the story of the Virginia elections in a minute. First, I want to key in on the fact that I will not be recording a podcast episode for the next few days. I might get one in tomorrow morning. We'll see how things go. My wife and I will be getting ready to retreat to the mountains, just the two of us. We've never done this before. It's very, very exciting. We're finally going to do it. We're going to make it happen. Not because we're so fantastic, but because marriage is good, because celebrating 15 years of marriage is good, because God is good, and we want to celebrate properly. We're not going to have an opportunity really at the end of the month because it's just too close to Thanksgiving. But my birthday is Friday. I turned 35, and that's as good a time as any to celebrate our 15th anniversary coming up. The Bergman family, Luke and Kate Bergman, are going to be hanging out here at our house with their three beautiful children, hanging out with our kiddos. So it's going to be 10 kids in the house. Lauren and I, of course, will take little Andrew. If I haven't mentioned it before, we do know that this kiddo that uh, Lauren is pregnant with right now, due in late January, is a boy. We have a name picked out, Andrew Matthias. Andrew means man. Matthias means gift of God. We have seven sons, therefore, and we're very excited. So we'll take Andrew with us, of course, but the other seven kiddos, they'll do fine. They'll do great with Bergmans. God bless the Bergmans for agreeing, offering, volunteering to hang out with our kiddos, hang out, hang out at our house for Lauren and I to get away. A funny thing, too, I want to revisit the question of a couple episodes ago. I talked about 1986, the year I was born. And I mentioned, I just touched on the fact that at 35, as of Friday, I can run for president. And I was tongue-in-cheek. I was just mentioning in passing, just being kind of funny. But it really is something to realize that legally, constitutionally, someone as young as I am could run for president in this country. Now, practically, pragmatically, could someone who's 35 have a chance at winning the election, winning the presidency? I don't know. I don't know about that. Nobody that I can think of right now. It seems like most 35-year-olds, in our day at least, still have a lot of growing up to do. If the founding fathers were around right now and setting a age limit, a threshold, they probably would set it higher than 35, I would guess, just based on how most 35-year-olds are oriented, where their heads are at, where they're at in life, maturity level, etc. Myself, perhaps included, uh, to be honest with you. But I was curious who the youngest president 
to have served was. I actually was thinking it was John F. Kennedy. And John F. Kennedy might be the youngest elected. I don't know. I'll have to take a look at that. But actually, it's Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt was the youngest president in American history at 42. So seven years older than I am, or at least I will be come Friday, Theodore Roosevelt became president in 1901 when he was 42 years, 10 months, and 18 days old. According to ThoughtCo.com, their article, The Youngest President in American History, Roosevelt was thrust into office following the assassination of President William McKinley. When he took office, Theodore Roosevelt was only seven years older than the constitutional requirement that the White House occupant be at least 35 years old. Roosevelt was re-elected in 1904 when he reportedly said to his wife, My dear, I am no longer a political accident. John F. Kennedy is often incorrectly cited as the youngest president. Well, there you go. However, since Roosevelt was sworn in after an assassination, not an election, Kennedy does hold the record for the youngest person elected president. Kennedy was 43 years, 7 months, and 22 days old when he took the oath of office. So, okay, there you go. I thought so. I was suspecting so. What did I tell you? You heard it here, folks. It really is a funny thing, though. You, you think about, depending on who you're surrounded by, 42 can seem fairly old. 42, when you're in your 20s, seems like a whole lifetime away because you're 20, right? You're 21 years old. Well, you're only halfway there, and you have no idea what the next 21 years might look like compared with your first 21 years. Your first 21 years, primarily, you're living with your parents. You're getting your education. At 21, you might still be getting your education formally. You may have started your working life, but you're probably not quite there in what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Some people are. Not many people are. At 42, though, to think of yourself as young, you have to be surrounded by much older men, uh, men who are much more established. So at 42, if everybody else in office is in their 50s, if everybody who is the donor class to you and other political candidates and officials is in their 50s and 60s, Yes, 42 can feel rather young. You know, I think about my wife and I having gotten married early, having started a family right away, and now with our church here in Evans, we're surrounded by a number of people who are five to ten years older than we are. Same stage of life in terms of the size of their family, the age of their children, but five to ten years older than we are because we got started early. And so I can kind of relate a little bit to TR being young, or at least I wonder if I can relate. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I wonder if I can relate to TR being considered young at 42, being president. If he's got a lot of men around him who are 10 years or more his senior, he is treated with respect but he's also treated with a little bit of distance, a little bit of uh, oddity surrounds him, 
to where people aren't quite sure what to make of him. That's been our circumstance where we're talking across to people who are five to 10 years older than us as equals, but also they know it and we know it that we're a bit younger. And five to 10 years is a long, long time. That's a lot of life that can happen, particularly when you are in your 30s or 40s. A lot of life can happen in five to 10 years. You can have parents pass away. You can have personal tragedies. You can have things happen to your children. A lot of things, up, down, good, bad, indifferent, wins and losses to learn from, life to live that might make you wiser, older and wiser. But I, for one, just to rest everybody's minds, put everybody at ease, I don't plan to run for president quite yet. Maybe someday, God willing, who knows? Who knows? I mean, you look at the subtitle for this, How Violence and Tragedy Thrust a 42-Year-Old into the White House. Lots of things can happen in five to 10 years, in seven years. You know, seven years from now, I will be 42. Lots of things could happen in this country that we don't expect just yet. Lots of pendulums could swing other directions from how we think they're stuck or fixed right now. We think this is just going to be the way that it is forever. That's, I think, part of why the Founding Fathers wanted somebody older than 35, and I think that's part of why the two youngest presidents we've had were 42 and 43, because it takes maybe a few decades for you to pull your cranium out of your rear end and realize that some things, for better or worse, that we think are just going to be the way that it is forever, they can change very quickly in ways that we don't expect. And that gives you a certain measure of steadiness when you realize, hey, this might be totally different, totally other than what we're thinking tomorrow. I shouldn't count on this being the way that it is forever. Whether it's a great thing, I shouldn't count on it being this way forever. If it's a terrible thing, I shouldn't count on it being this way forever. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything else, by God's design, changes. That's the fixed constant. Everything changes. But let's talk again about Virginia specifically. Back to the present, back to our day. I'm looking at headline after headline after headline, and I get email updates from various news agencies, news organizations. I get notifications on my phone. And you've got the political landscape in this country getting a shakeup last night. The state of Virginia has elected a whole lot of Republicans. I'll give you just the quick summary. A whole lot of Republicans got elected in the state of Virginia last night. And why is that? Well, the Democrats, as you just heard at the top of the episode, are reaching for racism. This is all about racism, right? See, America is the racist country we've been saying it is. Well, wait a second. Not so fast. Maybe, just maybe, it had a lot more to do with you guys being tyrants. You Democrats have been locking everything down that you possibly can. You've been 
putting people out of work. You're talking about taxing people who still do have wealth and still do have jobs, taxing those people into oblivion. And then we've got stories and headlines flying around that the man in the White House is considering $450,000 for families of illegal immigrants. Meanwhile, you've got American citizens being thrown out of work. You've got fuel prices, gas prices going through the roof, oil prices ticking up and up and up and up. We're going into the winter. Natural gas prices are much higher than they were last year. And we have the president of the United States of America asking OPEC to produce more oil. All the while, the headline yesterday that I saw, it was probably a little older than yesterday, but it might have been just from yesterday, is that the Keystone XL pipeline coming down from Canada, down through North Dakota, down through the Williston Basin and the Bakken that I worked in for seven years in the oil and gas industry up there, the Keystone XL pipeline is officially canceled. It's officially not just suspended, on pause, on hold, canceled. Uncle, we're tapping out. We give up. Can't do it anymore. Can't do it. Can't wait around forever. Can't keep all of our capital tied up in this project that Democrats have decided they want to make war on. Not doing it. That, my friends, is the kind of stuff that Democrat losses in Virginia are made of. The... Candidate for governor on the Democratic side made comments that parents should not be interfering in what their children are being taught in public schools. Basically, you have no business telling teachers, telling principals, telling school boards you object to certain books being read, certain curriculum being taught. You object to pornography and socialism, and critical race theory being peddled to your children. You have no right as a parent to go interfering in what really is the rightful domain of educrats. How dare you? I don't care what color you are or what color your children are. No parent should hear that. No parent should hear that. McAuliffe lost because of nonsense like that, which has everything to do with where the Democrat Party is at, where their heads are at. They think that that is just common sense. Who would object? How could anybody be offended by that? Well, it's just common sense. No, it's not common sense. It's a logical outgrowth of your ideology. It is what you and your party have been telling one another and yourselves and the American people in recent years. And so you think that that's normal because you've all just been reinforcing one another's stupidity. But no, no, that is not common sense. Actually, it's a very radical revolutionary idea that parents should have no say in how their children are educated. That's actually, that's actually a really radical idea that's not normal and it's not healthy and it's not sane. You know, the, the contexts in which that kind of idea are normal are esoteric ivory tower, ancient Greek philosophers, 
Prussian emperors and Babylonian courts. You know, the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament book of Daniel. You have all of these youths who have been taken like a brain drain from Judea. They've been taken from their homeland, taken from the best, wealthiest, most respected families in Jerusalem and Judea and Israel, taken from this area and put in Babylon, put in the capital city of the Babylonian Empire. And there they will be given new names, Babylonian names. There they will be given new clothes and a new diet, and they'll be taught the language, and they will be grafted into the Babylonian administrative state. In that kind of a context, a candidate for governor might say, you parents have no business interfering in what we teach your children. In that kind of a context, the state might presume that it has absolute right, absolute authority over every little aspect of how your children are engineered, how their understanding of the world is cultivated, how they're thinking about themselves and God and their fellow man is shaped and formed. Is that the context that we live in? Maybe. It might be, actually. Is that the context that we want to live in if we have a choice? Not on your life. Not on your life do we want to subject ourselves to Babylon in the form of the Democratic Party. No. No, no indeed. I am the father of my children. I want to to train up my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, not to think that gay sex is totally normal, not to think that being a tranny is okay, not to think that my children are always going to be morally and spiritually inferior by virtue of their skin color, by virtue of the fact that their ancestors came from Northern Europe. I don't want my children learning those kinds of things. And I don't want broader society having all of its laws and all of its policies and all the enforcement of its laws and policies enacted along those lines. I don't want future generations to think that that's just the way that it is. I don't want this current generation to live under that. That's oppressive nonsense. It's craziness. It's insanity. It's evil, actually. So I'm actually very, very happy I'm very happy that the state of Virginia won last night. This isn't a win for Republicans. This is a win for the state of Virginia. And actually, hopefully, from our lips to God's ears, this is a win for the United States of America. Because what a lot of pundits are saying here is not just that this is an upset in the state of Virginia, but that this is a referendum on the Biden presidency. This is a referendum on... Democrats in general, I personally think that there was massive fraud in the 2020 election and that that's the only reason why Democrats even eked out a bare minimum hold on power in this country. My fear has been, and I'll admit it, it's been a fear, and I should trust the good Lord, I know that, and not be anxious about things at all, anything, present all my requests to God, prayer and supplication, I know that. But my fear has been, 
if I'm right, if so many of us are right that there was massive fraud in the 2020 election and we didn't nip it in the butt and we didn't call it on the mat and we've accepted an illegitimate presidency in the form of Biden being in office now, other Democrats winning strategic places like Georgia, if we accept that, will we ever have free and fair elections again? Or is this just what it is? Well, maybe, just maybe, efforts were put into let's win the next one by making sure we are really, really, really watching for any kind of fraud and we put it to death. And maybe, just maybe, the Democrats cheating for all to see and then screwing this country up like you wouldn't believe after only nine, ten months. Maybe, just maybe, that will cause an absolute landslide across the country, not just in the state of Virginia, but across the country. And if that ends up being the case, boy, howdy, it is a new day in America. Reduce taxes. Don't send them through the roof. Reduce government spending. Don't send it through the roof. Reduce regulation. That strangles small businesses. Don't increase regulation. Leave people free to make their own health care choices. How's that for a crazy idea? Maybe you shouldn't get the vaccine. Can I say that? Maybe you shouldn't get the vaccine. Maybe that should be your choice, whether you get the vaccine or you don't get the vaccine based on you doing the risk analysis, the cost-benefit analysis. Do I think that the risks outweigh the potential rewards, probable rewards of doing this thing? Yes or no? Am I prepared to be sick because somebody else forced me into getting this vaccine against my better judgment? They threatened my livelihood. They threatened my ability to provide for my family. Am I prepared to be sick and possibly even die? Am I prepared for my wife and my children to get sick and potentially die due to complications from the vaccine. I should get to make that decision and I shouldn't have my hand forced and I shouldn't be threatened in every aspect of my being by Democrats. And I think a whole lot of Americans feel the same way. And I think that Virginia and the results of the election last night are a sign that a whole lot of Americans, next chance they get, are going to say that loud and clear, and we're going to have a sea change. I hope. I hope even with regards to young people. You know, this is a, a, a an element of fatalism that I just can't agree with, that this is the way that it's going to go, and America's going to fall, and we're going to collapse, we're going to collapse in on ourselves. Maybe. Possibly. We also might last another 150 years. We also might last another 300 years. You don't know. We don't know. But if our country is going down the wrong road because young people are being indoctrinated in CRT and pornography and LGBTQ and all of this nonsense, and also they associate in their minds the COVID lockdowns losing out on years of their childhood, years of opportunity, years of opportunity to get a part-time job, a, a service sector job. Maybe they would have gotten a job at McDonald's and now they couldn't. They would have gotten a job at that bookstore or that coffee shop or that construction company, swinging a hammer, making some money, getting their way through school, 
Couldn't even go to school unless they could do it online. Couldn't get together with their friends without worrying that the cops were going to be called. They'd be carted off to jail, face big-time fines in some places, in a lot of places, and pretty much all the places where Democrats controlled things. There's a whole lot of young people that might say, you know what? That was the jolt. That was the wake-up call. A whole lot of young people who were raised and indoctrinated in all this might just find themselves inoculated against leftist ideology as a result of how Democrats played the COVID pandemic. Might just be. Time will tell. Only the good Lord knows for sure. But a pox on fatalism. I am not okay with fatalism. I get depressed. Believe me, I get discouraged. You know I do. You can hear it in my voice if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis. I get depressed and I get discouraged from time to time because it's like, man, what does it take, right? How long is this going to go on? Why are people not listening? Why are they not responsive? Why won't they pay attention? And maybe, just maybe, by God's grace, by an absolute miracle, there is revival in this country. And maybe... God will heal our land and he will restore us and he will bless us again. That is a cause worth hoping for and arguing for and praying for and working for. Jeremiah 29 7 says, We should seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile. We should seek the welfare of the city. And in that context, The city is Babylon, not a good godly city, not a shining city on the hill, not Zion, not Jerusalem, not the city in which God's temple resides, except insofar as his people are where he resides, in the sense that in the New Testament, with the Holy Spirit, his church is his temple. Wherever we are, wherever we gather, two or three of us even, in his name, he's with us. He is in the midst of us. And are we seeking the welfare of the city to which God has brought us? Or are we saying, ah, it's all lost. No point. I give up. I'm out. If we are, I think we do well to double, triple check our math. You know, there's been a part of me that's thought, If this all blows up, if it all does come crashing down, and this is the end of America as we know it, and I'm going to watch my children, my grandchildren be enslaved by leftist ideology for decades and decades to come for the rest of my life, maybe all of these efforts I've put into studying history and arguing the points and arguing theology and philosophy and worldview according to God's word, maybe it all will have fallen on deaf ears. And what? I'll tell you what. I will have that much clearer of a conscience that I left it all in the field. I didn't throw in the towel. I didn't give up. I didn't surrender. I put in 100%. And if it doesn't work, then I at least can feel like it wasn't for lack of trying. But here's a question for... Those of us who have thrown in the towel, and I've asked myself this, and this is why I've chosen to keep fighting the way that I have, is, you know, if this all blows up, 
and I didn't give it my all, then it, I'm always going to wonder if I would have really actually tried, could I have turned it around? Could I have done something about it? Could I have affected for God's glory, for our benefit, some meaningful change here? Could I have shown leadership and influenced others by my leadership, by my example? Could I have persuaded my countrymen? Could I have persuaded my brothers? But if I don't try, and it all turns around also, how silly am I going to feel? I might feel really relieved, but I also might just carry that shame and embarrassment with me that I didn't really help. I didn't really contribute. I fainted in the day of adversity, and my strength is small. Well, that's true. right? That's true of all of us. All of our strength is small. It's not by works that we're saved. It's not by our own righteousness that we're saved. Unless the Lord builds the house, it's laborers labor in vain. But if the Lord builds the house, why in the world wouldn't we labor happily, joyfully, like happy warriors? Why wouldn't we labor? Why wouldn't we invest ourselves? And if it all works out and we were hiding under a table until it all blew over, Are we going to be ashamed of ourselves when things do turn around? If they do, by God's grace, and only God knows if they will, which way they'll go. God willing, we'll live and do this or that. But I don't want to be the person who, whether this turns around or it gets much, much, much worse, I don't want to be the one who said, I threw in the towel before it was over, before it was all said and done. No. No. Don't you do it either. Don't you throw in the towel either, friend, countryman, Roman. But that's it. That's it for this episode. I got to run. I need to get a jump on the day. I've got some things going on today. And then this evening, we've got youth group, and I'm on a panel discussion. So I need to be doing some research, preparing for questions that Paul Pavlik will no doubt be throwing at us. I want to be ready. I want to be thinking about this from all possible angles, common objections, We shall see how the future plays out. God knows, though. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will lift you up. In the appointed time, at the proper time, God will lift us up if our hope and our trust is in him. But, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. <laughs>